It's good being with you all. I also want to say greetings from the west side of Chicago. Your family there says, what's up? Big air hug. All right. And so we all one family in Christ, man. No matter what state or where we live or background or whatever, we literally blood relatives because of Jesus. So you stuck with me. I'm stuck with you. We're going to get the glory together. We'll sing way better than our voices will be perfect. But until then, uh, it's good to be here with my family. I know that you're in a, a series you just started called Sent Forward, and I think that's really great. I do know this about you. I know, I'm not just from your pastor and the staff and the leaders here, but I know you love the Word of God. That is amazing. That's great. It's crazy we even got to say stuff like that in this day. But I know this church loves the Word. Um, I know you think deeply about the Word. I know the supremacy of Christ, Christ being exalted clearly in how you sing and worship, that you value the centrality of Jesus being the center of your life and you pursuing him. That is amazing. I love the series that you're going into because there is a disconnect for Christians to uh, make everything about coming to church when we spend most of our time out there. All right, so you got to leave here today and some of y'all are like, man, I got to run to Target. I got to go do this. I got to have my sister with a baby shower. I don't know if the school started back up here yet. They start this week in Chicago. So school teachers, you've been like setting up the classroom. you like, right, so you got stuff to do, but how do you live for Christ there? How do you live on mission for Christ where you are, on your street, on your block, at your job? And so we're going to focus on that this morning. I got to, you know, I really believe that the word that the Lord had really put in my heart aligns kind of perfectly with where you guys are. I do want to just say this as we open and just to be honest. um, Some of you this morning will have a hard time. Uh, It'll be hard to hear this message. It may even trigger some things in you and um, emotions and feel. And the reason why I just say that, just to give you a heads up, is because we talk about pain. And people don't like talking about pain. We avoid pain. We self-medicate to come overcome pain. But I want you to be healed. And there might be things that happened growing up or things you're going through now that you don't really talk about, and this message is forcing you to think about it, and I want you to be sensitive of that. But I want you to be encouraged that I really believe in the God that we just sung to. And that if you believe that he is real and you believe in the power of his word and the power of his spirit to work this morning in you, I really believe some people in this room could get some healing and some freedom that you've been longing for for years. And so I just trust the spirit will work and I'm going to trust him with this time. So can I just pray for you and just pray before we jump into the text that God would just guard our hearts in all of this. And to those who might be joining online. Let me just pray now. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. And God, I don't know what's going on in every row or every aisle, but I just, Lord, I'm not naive to just think that nobody in this room has experienced trauma. Nobody in this room is navigating pain. Nobody in this room went through stuff when they were a kid that they still don't talk about to this day. Nobody in this room is battling any addictions right now that they're ashamed to bring forward. God, that's not true. There's pain up and down these roads. There's not a row sitting here this morning. There's not a a home watching online in which there isn't some form of pain or challenge or difficulty that's there. And so, God, I just pray right now, you are the great physician. You are the great healer. We don't need a message from Pastor John. We need a divine moment from heaven. And I just pray that this time this morning wouldn't just be church as normal, Um, But that, Lord, truly this time would change a generation because some people got some healing today. And maybe, just maybe, God, by the power of your spirit, they might get some clarity on where you are and what you're doing in the midst of the painful season they're going through. 
Would you bless this time now and make it holy and consecrated to you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a lot of times um, when we think about being sent out, right, the reality is we're not going to sleep here. Most of us are about to leave and then go home, right? And so as we go home and we're sent out, we, we know what we're called to do. But a lot of times as Christians, we don't really think about the context God sent us to. And so what ends up happening is um, we, we spend more time critiquing the people that God has sent us to minister to than actually considering the painful environment that we're in. And I just want to submit to you that because our forefathers, because our parents ate that fruit, Adam and Eve, sin entered this world and with sin came pain, suffering and sorrow. Even as I preach right now, thousands of people across the world will die before this message is over. Whether it's through persecution, whether they're in a different country like Pakistan or Syria or somewhere else, maybe they're in Ukraine. Maybe someone's battling cancer or something or a robbery is about to happen, but people die and people are experiencing pain. So what does that look like for you? Well, it means that you should be aware that as you are sent into this world, you're sent into an environment full of pain and suffering. Christians hardly consider that. We just see what's evil. We critique it. We Facebook about it. We tweet it and we walk away. But the school that you're about to walk into teachers is filled with hallways of pain. There's kids battling depression. There's kids that are cutting themselves. There are staff members who are, who are battling addictions and they don't say anything. There's neighbors on your street who are struggling. The guy you can't stand in the cubicle next to him, if you actually got to know his life story, you might see him a little different. And so the title of this morning's message is Sent into a World of Pain and Sorrow. My prayer is that the Spirit would show us what that looks like for all of us. And so if you're looking with me in 2 Corinthians, there's three things in this text that Paul points out um, about how we walk and navigate and what we should know about going into this world full of pain and sorrow. And there's three things here. Here's the first thing if you're taking notes, and I'm reading from the ESV version. Um, here's the first point. We are sent by the God who comforts. We are sent out into this world by the God who comforts. Where do I get that from? Look with me. Um, let's start in verse three. Paul says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Let's just park real quick and look at verse three. And look at verse three says, blessed be the God and father. So the focus is God, the father, God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. The father of mercies and God of all comfort. God the Father is introduced by Paul to the church in Corinth, this luxury church in, um, I don't know if you noticed, but Corinth was the, the most financially established, luxurious city in the modern time during Roman era. So you talking about a, he's talking to a bunch of people who, who have everything, but are going through pain because it doesn't matter how much money you have, pain is pain. <laughs> and he says, I want you to know this, that we serve a God who is full of mercy and comfort. Think about all the things Paul could say to describe God. Father of all mercies and all comfort. I want us to give you a kind of word study there. The word there, if you're looking in verse four or in verse three, the word comfort there, it means to give an encouragement. It means to console. It's the idea of someone being able to cry on your shoulder. We often say on the west side of our church in Chicago West, is your shoulder a safe place for people to cry on? Like, do people feel safe talking to you? 
about what's really going on. And so the idea here is that God is a God of comfort, a safe place for you to cry on his shoulder. But there's another word that uses, that's used here, and it's the word affliction. In verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction. That Greek word there means a state of feeling oppressed by anything. It could be mentally, physically, emotionally, economically. It means to experience anguish, suffering, and hardship. That's what you're going through. And it says, in that situation, the God you just sung to is a God full of mercy and a God of comfort. And God is comforting us all the time, and we don't even realize it. We take it for granted. I just want to give you a couple ways, out of millions I could say this morning, a couple ways in which God comforts you in your pain. He comforts you through his presence. How many times have you been there where nobody was around, but the Lord comforted me? Isaiah 52, 9, he says this. Listen to what he says. I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of a man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass? I'm the one who comforts you. Why are you so scared of your boss? As if like, I'm not the one who gave you the job. I don't care what they said. Acts 9.31, listen to this. This is the early church during the height of persecution then. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Persecution going on, people are suffering. The Holy Spirit is comforting us. The church is growing. So God comforts you through his presence. He comforts you through his word as well. Psalm 119.50 says, this is my comfort in my affliction. That's your promise gives me life. Have you ever been there before where all you could do is hold on to a promise? Lord, you said you would never leave me nor forsake me. You said in your word that you, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion because it seems like we slowed up, right? But, but God, your promises, like when you're in the hospital waiting room and you ain't got nobody, you got to hold on to a promise. Hence of why it's so good to memorize scripture. How many times have we quoted Psalm 46, one, our God is a, a refuge, right? How many times we, 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 so God's word is a comfort, but not only does his presence comfort you or his word, but also his people. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 7, 6, Paul says, but God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Man, I was real weary, but man, when my brother came over this evening, he just spoke into my heart and I just feel full. You've been there before? Philemon 1, 7 says this, this is what Paul says to Philemon. Your love has, has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. I think, Pastor Doug, that's what you're talking about, that in our friendship there's a sense of comfort and joy that's mutual. Right? You ever been there before? You ain't feel like going to small group? But then you showed up, and like by the time you left, you're like, man, I'm glad I came. Maybe you didn't feel like coming to church, right? And you got a lot going on. Some of y'all, I know people in this room that didn't want to be here. Right. But you just man, you didn't feel like arguing like, all right, I'm going. Right. And so you get here and then you're in the hallway and somebody that you haven't seen or talked to in a couple of weeks. Y'all been going in the summer. It's like, you OK. And you're like, yeah, yeah. And then you all end up talking and y'all pray. You all crying. They're consoling you. And then, you know what? You leave church and you like, man, I don't feel like I'm on a full tank, but I'm not on E no more. Like you ever been there before? This is why we can't be isolated. That's why small groups are so important, because God comforts through his people. Now, here's the thing. Even though God comforts through his presence, his word, his people, because pain 
It's so uh, physical and you can feel it. You can taste it. You can touch it. It's, it's, it can create in you a root of bitterness that causes you to reject the comfort of God. How many people do you know right now? You're like, man, they should be here. But they're running from the Lord. You're trying to call him. She won't answer my call. He ain't been to small group. This person, I'm just trying to grab lunch. and hey, They're running. Pain will do that to you. It's possible to reject the comfort of God. And what I found is the deeper the painful situation, the greater the temptation to reject God and his comfort. I'll give you an example. About uh, three and a half years ago, our, our middle son, Benjamin, who's turning nine now, um, parents, grandparents, you've been here before, right? You've said this a thousand times. Stop running through the house. Stop running through the house. You need to go stand somewhere. So I'm at, I'm, at, uh, I'm at the office, and our church is like maybe like seven minutes from our house. And so Danielle calls me. She's crying. I'm like, what's up? She's like, you got to come home. Ben's bleeding everywhere. I'm like, what? So I'm like, all right, well, hold on. I'm, you know, I rush out. I come home. He was running around, and he tripped, and he hit right here on the sharp corners of our steps at full speed. Um, sorry for TMI, but he knocked out a chunk right there. And so uh, we went to urgent care. And so we get the urgent care. And anybody who's got young kids, I just never met a young kid that's like, please give me a needle right here. <laughs> like nobody does that, right? So like he's like anti-doctor, anti, we are the same family doctor. I'm like, Ben, she delivered you. She's not going to hurt you. She's our family doctor. So anyway, um, when we, so that's how this is when we go to doctor's office. So here we are at urgent care. It's even worse because he doesn't know the people. And they're like, um, I'm like, so you're going to sew this up? And they're like, no, we're going to shoot two staples in his head. I'm like, that ain't going to fly. That ain't going to work. Like, that's just like, and then so, so that I'm like, well, what do you need? And like, he's over there like playing on the side, you know, with a thing on his head. And she's like, I'm going to need you to hold him like this. It's going to be three of us. We're going to hold him. And I'm just going to quickly bang, bang, shoot both the staples and then we're done. I'm like, all right. So I'm holding him. He thinks I'm the enemy. Why are you doing this, Dad? Let me go. I'm like, you know, I'm holding him, and and like, it's two other nurses on the side. And we're holding him, and they're trying to get him to sit still. They put the ointment on so they can shoot the stuff, and he goes like this, and hits me in the mouth, busts my lip. So now I'm like holding him. I'm sucking on my lip. Blood is coming down. He gets the two stuff. He's fine. I take him to Target, buy him a Lego thing, and we go home. And so I don't even want to talk about it. But here's a, here's a tension that he's feeling. He doesn't want the doctor to touch his wound. But the doctor can't heal him if she doesn't touch his wound. And what happens with pain is when we're experiencing, we don't want God to touch that wound. And so we run. But I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. God cannot heal you unless he's able to touch your wound. He can't heal that area if you don't want to talk about it. And some of you, that's you. you. You just shut down whenever you talk about what happened to you in high school. You know, like, yeah, you love your dad, but it was toxic growing up in that house. And you, you know you can't bring it up to him because he can't handle it. But you don't talk about it. But you want to say, Dad, man, I know you're great. We love you. But, man, growing up, it was like this. It felt like we were walking on egg. Mom, I love you. I know you was going through challenges with mental health. I know it was hard with Dad. But, man, it felt like we was on eggshells all the time growing up. Maybe someone was abused. Or something happened and you just swept it under the rug. The damage that trauma and pain does is that it causes you to see the one sent to heal you as a threat. This is why we often run from God than run to him. The person sees the pain, but the doctor sees healing. 
You know, you want to know why we truly get bitter with God and why we don't trust him and we struggle? It's because when we read verse four, look at verse four, who comforts us in all our affliction. No, we, we like, God, I don't want to get comfort in my affliction. I want to be delivered from my affliction. I don't need you delivering me from cancer. I need you keeping me from cancer. I don't need you comforting me while my son has gone astray from the faith. I want you keeping that from happening. And so the problem we have is when we go through stuff, y'all been here before, you struggle to let God work in that area because you say things like, why did you let this happen to me? I'm tithing, I'm serving, I show up on Sundays, I'm trying to be the best neighbor and witness I can. I'm trying to do my best to love these kids and I know I have to repent every single day because mommy said a bad word or daddy did this and I shouldn't have said that and my attitude was off and I'm trying, God. But why did you let that happen to me in college? Or, man, you know we've been, we just want to have a family, God, and this is our fifth miscarriage. And yet this person over here who doesn't even know you and doesn't worship you has baby after baby after baby and they don't even want the kids. People are having an abortion and we want to have a baby. God, why are we on our fifth miscarriage? And so it's hard for me to sing that you're a good, good father. The big question we ask when it comes to our trauma is why did you let this happen to me? Now, I don't know why everything has happened in your life, but I know there's two words here that are extremely encouraging and it's found in verse four. It talks about God being the one who comforts us, watch this, in all our affliction. And I love the next two words, so that. I love that word, so that. It's changed my life. We've actually done a sermon series before on so that, therefore, and buts in the Bible. And not the inappropriate, come on guys. Come on. Right. No, but it, it, Paul, just track with me for. So why is why is God choosing to comfort me in my affliction rather than deliver me from my affliction? Here's why. God, the Holy Spirit, speaking through the Apostle Paul, jot this down if you're taking notes. It's because we are sent by God to comfort others. And Paul is about to say that. Right here. That's the whole point of so that look with me. God who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I love that word so that. That means this is the reason I'm saying all this. Why is it that God is comforting us in all that? So that you could go out here and leave here and go comfort people who are in pain. Why did God leave you in that situation but comforted you in that rather than delivering you? Why did he allow you to go through that? That you might be able to relate to other people in pain and comfort them. In verse 4, God connects our pain to the healing and redemption of others. It's crazy. This is a powerful truth. That with God, pain always has a purpose. If this, if this is the only reason you came to church was to remember this statement, I pray that it's life-giving for you, but it's true. God never wastes the pain of his people, ever. Even in the moment when you're just like, well, nah, this don't seem, it seems like a waste. I don't know how good can come out of that. No, he uses our pain to deliver others from pain. Let me just give you some examples in scripture. Philippians 1, 12, 24, Paul's in prison, brother man's locked up. Life's on the line. He's suffering, being persecuted. And listen to what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me 
has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul says, I would have never went to prison. It wasn't my choice. And I'm suffering here. But it occurred to me that actually the gospel is going forth through my suffering because I'm witnessing for Christ in my pain. And there are other people at this prison who are Christians who have been silent and now they're bold to share their faith. So now, even though God is going to relieve me and deliver me from prison, I'm going to get out. There's believers more emboldened back there. and There's people who come to faith in Christ back there. Man, God is using my pain for good. Let's put this in our modern translation. Let's, let's read this again. Let's, let's, let's use today and let's use a hospital instead of a prison. I want you to know, Radiant, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me getting cancer right now has really served to advance the gospel. So that's become known throughout the entire eighth floor of the hospital that I'm a witness for Christ. And most of the nurses, having become confident in the Lord by my testimony, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. See the difference? There's a different way you could look at cancer treatment if you're being salt and light. Now, I would never wish that on anybody, but what if God wanted you on the eighth floor? He knew he was going to deliver you from cancer anyway, but he wanted you on the eighth floor so that you can witness to other people in cancer treatment. And that you can also be a light to the doctors and nurses there because there's four women and one man there who are devout Christians and they're afraid to share their faith. But because you talk about Jesus so much in the hospital room, they can now talk about him freely. And now you're out of the hospital cancer free, but those nurses now meet to pray before their shift starts. You see how God has a way of working through our pain? And often the reason why we cannot recognize why God is allowing pain is because we live our lives so disconnected from the mission. We're so consumeristic that we're not thinking about, God is always thinking about the next person. And he's thinking about the soul of the person you can't stand. And when God makes decisions related to your life, it's connected to other people. And so here it is, a lot of times the enemy doesn't want your pain to have a purpose, so he keeps you uninterested in the mission. Prayer meetings are empty. Evangelism, church evangelism, empty. But everything else is full that serves me. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to us. How does that work for good? What I'm going through. Well, if you're willing to open your mouth and talk to other people, maybe souls may come to faith in Christ because you're navigating through pains just like them. Have you considered that? Let us listen to our brother Joseph and finish this verse that's often quoted. You know, in Genesis 50, you remember the story of Joseph? You remember how Joseph was sold into slavery and everything that he went through, right? All the suffering. You know how many times he prayed to God? Why is this happening? Why do you got me here? 
He comes out, he goes to prison for a crime he never did because Potiphar's wife is lying on him and suffering, suffering, suffering. Finally, he gets to the point where his brothers is in his face. He gets to see them. He's second in charge of Egypt. And listen what he says. As for you, you meant it against me. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for what? How many of you have heard that, that verse a thousand times? You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Christians never finish the verse. Read the rest of the verse. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph said, when I was in that cell, when I thought I was going to die because you sold me into slavery and I was questioning God all these years, I had no idea that he wanted to save a nation. All I knew was, man, I'm suffering unjustly. God, where are you? And God says, you know what? I'm going to actually elevate you years from now and I'm going to save a bunch of people through you and it will make sense later. Joseph is now looking back over the last 15, 20 years. And he said, man, I couldn't see it then. But what you meant for evil and hurting me, God actually meant it for good. Look at all these people that are saved now. Maybe that's going to be part of your story. Now, I don't know what was going on when you were in college or when you were in your 20s and you're in your 30s and you're like, man, here I am. And God will reveal. I meant it for good. Some of the pains of my life, if I can be honest with you, I'm not talking to you as a pastor. I'm talking to you as a brother in the Lord. A lot of the pains of my life seem to have no purpose until I started ministering to others who were in the same predicament. Now, like, I realize that virtually everything God does in my life is connected to something that I experienced that was painful. I wasn't always a pastor. I came to, when I was 12 years old, first time when I was 12, I started selling crack in crack houses around 12. And 13 was the first time I ever got arrested and convicted. I spent most of my teenage years in and out of juvenile detention centers. I was always high. Uh, never met somebody who smoked more weed than I did was very disrespectful to every teacher, failed the seventh grade, went to four different high schools in my freshman year, dropped out, was always shooting at people or getting shot at, turned to Islam for about six years. That didn't work. Landed in prison at 19 for being involved in a shooting in which a young man lost his life, sitting in prison, looking at the death penalty and life in prison, and that's where God meets me. Now, here we are 20 years later. I just got off parole. And so, I mean, my church, our church has walked with me through that. And I'm serving on the west side of Chicago. We serve about 1,200, 1,500 kids a week with the police department, different sports teams, just trying to keep them off the streets and reach them with the gospel. I connect with a lot of the youth because of my pain. I made the same poor decisions they said. Now, I'm sure that a lot of y'all can connect with the same youth. The difference is you don't talk about it. They think you're perfect. You don't talk about how you was tripping and going crazy in high school and how you used to smoke too, and how you used to cut class too, and how you was in inappropriate relationships too. But now I can relate, and God uses it. There's a lot of people in our church who are battling addictions. They can't put the bottle down. Some of you are sitting here, and you know you got an alcohol problem. You got a stash hidden right now in the house, and when you leave here, you're probably going to go to it. That's real. Now I can walk with people because I know what it's like to be in AA meetings and NA meetings. Did two years of alcohol anonymous and recovery. Man, I wasn't even thinking about none of this at the time. But now when I'm talking to someone in our church who can't get over heroin or can't stop drinking because he's in corporate America and he's always in meetings drinking and he's, man, he's stressed out. He's at home and he's, he needs another shot. Now I could talk to him and be patient because I know how hard it was for me to stop. 
There's so many women in our church, men in our church as well, who've had abortions. And I can relate because before I came to faith in Christ, I had one. And I had to process guilt and shame and embarrassment and not talking about that and all these different things. I remember preaching a sermon and I talked about that in the message about how I had to process guilt and shame and everything before Christ along the lines of abortion. There was about 30, 40 women who came up after service. And there was one woman who was faithful. Everyone loves her. Prayer warrior. She came up sobbing. Love her. She said, Pastor John, I've been walking the Lord for 30 years and I've never been to a church where I could talk about this in process. Are you kidding me? That's crazy that we could come here and sing and do all this and you can't process through the trauma and the regrets of the abortion you had. She said to me, Pastor John, I lost count. One of the most godliest women you ever meet. Too ashamed to say anywhere in here. That part of her life, she doesn't want to talk about it. I have two children in heaven. One through the abortion and one through the stillborn I had. Had to hold them in my arms and give them to the doctors to go take them to do an autopsy. For most of my life, I thought God was punishing me for the abortion. You took my son from me. It wasn't until some years ago when I was helping a family plan the funeral of their two-year-old daughter that it, some of it made sense that God could use it for good. They would never want that for me, but it was very encouraging that their pastor know what it's like to lose a son. All that to say, I don't know all that you're going through, but I know God has a way of using it for good if you will serve people and be transparent. And so maybe you're sitting here right now and you're just like, man, I just feel like, my son is too far gone. Maybe you feel like you have a loved one or you're too far gone. Your daughter's too far gone. My husband's too far gone. Our marriage is too far gone. I want you to know that God hasn't forgotten them. He hasn't forgotten you. He could use all of their pain and foolish decisions for good. He could use the wrong and the abuse that was done to you that was not your fault, my sister, and use it for good. He can. Do you not realize that that's how most Christian non-for-profits start? In Indiana, Chicago, anywhere in the country, if it's not a missions agency, it's some, it's some uh, Christian non-for-profits, you'll find if you go to the founder, they have a story of pain that's birthed the ministry. Someone lost their son to opioids or, or a drug overdose or something, and they started a ministry serving those in addiction. Somebody was, uh, was uh, in an abusive situation and started a ministry serving women or something with sex trafficking. Someone lost their son at a young age to cancer and they started a foundation that serves other kids through the love of Christ. The world does it all the time. We're trying to make sense of our pain. I want you to know that in God's hand, pain is actually a tool to redeem what is broken. In Satan's hands, he wants to use your pain and your experiences to shame you. But God can bring good out of a painful situation. That's the cross. It cost Jesus something. It was painful for him to be on that cross. It cost God the Father grief. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why? Because there's going to be people 2,000 years from now in Radiant Bible Church that need to know me that I want to draw to myself. And if you have to suffer on this cross so that they may come in, then I'll do that. God has done so much for you at a great cost. He understands pain. 
And you'll be able to see your life differently when you realize that your pain has a purpose. You could be used by God to free thousands from bondage. I've come to learn personally that if you want to be like Jesus, you must identify with the wounds and the pains of people around you. Scripture says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Hebrews says we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Man, doesn't that bring comfort to you that Jesus understands your pain? Maybe that story about him falling asleep on a boat hits a little different now. He's like, man, I was tired just like you. I was trying to get a nap. They woke me up. I just said, man, peace be still, chill. Everything stopped. I went back to sleep. Right? right? You can, Jesus can relate. You talking to a homeless man, the son of man has no place to lay his head. I'm a convicted felon. Jesus knows what it's like to be in prison. He knows what it feels like to be convicted of a crime that he didn't do. That brings me so much comfort. Brings me so much comfort. That I'm not praying to somebody who can't relate. But it's like, man, I know that feeling. So I just want to encourage you that God has saved you, redeemed you, and called you and sent you into a world full of pain and suffering. And one of the requirements is that you identify with the pain and suffering. Sent into a world of pain and sorrow. We are sent by God to comfort others. Lastly, as we wrap up, here's the last observation. We are sent by the God who is self-sufficient. Who is self-sufficient. Look in verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Let's just kind of pause there real quick. So we realize that the God who's sending us out is a God of comfort, right? The God of all comfort, the God of mercies. But he's also self-sufficient. How do we know that? Because look at what Paul says. This is, Paul is describing his situation in verse 8. He says, I don't want you to be unaware of all the affliction and pain we were going through in, 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 in Asia. Listen to this. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's crazy. How, you, how, how did you feel in that season, Paul? I was so utterly burdened beyond my strength, I despaired of life itself. God, take me home. I don't even want to be here now. You ever heard the saying, God won't give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that? God won't give you more than that. It's like, have you been reading the Bible? Paul would beg to differ. God won't give you more than he can handle. Well, Paul will say, I had way more than I could handle. In fact, quick word study, the, the phrase utterly burdened means to be pushed far beyond your capacity. The phrase beyond our strength means beyond all of our power. And so you could actually translate this verse this way. I have it for you on the screen. My affliction was so severe that I was pushed far beyond what I have the capacity to handle and beyond all the power that I have. Have you ever been there before? It means mentally, physically, emotionally, I'm flatlined. You ever been there? That's some of you parents, right? You're like, man, I need to get away from these kids. I'm going to church, put them in children's ministry. That's the only break I get. I was telling some in the first service, y'all going to all three services, man. I need a break. <laughs> Look. You know, they come out of children's ministry, man, we're leaving. No, we're not. <laughs> you probably go use the potty and then you're going right back in there so I can go breathe, right? But you ever been there before? Where it's like, man, if I get, a, if I get another call, another text message, if another 
person asks me to do something, I'm going to collapse. My mom is dying. My brother's going through this. My son is struggling. I don't even know if we're going to have a place to live in six months because my, my spouse just got laid off. And I'm overwhelmed beyond what I have the capacity to handle right now. And I don't feel like going to church this morning. You've been there? But notice here again, why would God allow Paul to be pushed beyond the max? Why would he give Paul more than he can handle? Look again at the end of verse 8. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Here's verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. I thought it was over. Here it is. But, see what I'm talking about? But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. See why I said I love the so that's the therefores and buts in the Bible? Man, I felt crushed. Why are you doing this, God? Here comes the but. But it was happening so that I wouldn't rely on myself. God took all of my strength. He took all of my energy. So now I can only parent in his strength. I don't even know how I'm making it through the end of the day. Man, I can only go to work in his strength. I can only come alongside of my son who my heart aches for and I've been grieving about that he's so far away from the Lord. I can only go through that in his strength because it's crushing to me. God will not tolerate our self-reliance in his presence. And this is deeply personal to me because I share with you that I came to faith in Christ in prison. I was in solitary confinement. That's the hold. Isolation, 23 and 1. And I came to faith in Christ because there was a prison guard who wasn't afraid to let his light shine. I was bored to death. And back then we read newspapers. Young folks like, what's that? We read newspapers. I was like, yo, you got the newspaper, you know, and he just so happened to be working the block that day. That's not the cell block he works on. He was covering someone else's shift. And he chose to be bold. When I said, can I get something to read? He said, man, I can't find any newspapers, but I can get you a Bible if you want it. And I said, whatever, give it to me. He came back two hours later, opened the slot, put the Bible through. I began reading it and starting the gospel of uh, Matthew. It was one of those New Testament Bibles with the Proverbs and Psalm. And I gave my life to the Lord right then and there. Right? Now, here's the thing. No church service, no sermon, no altar call, high school dropout, low reading level. Every reason to be like, man, you know, not him sitting in prison for murder. And God's word was enough. And now that brother, here's the thing, he has no clue what's come out of his decision. I never saw him again. He has no clue that that man that he gave that Bible to 20 years later would be a pastor and there'd be people on the west side that'll be impacted and stuff we're doing, all from his obedience. I don't know if you need to hear this, but when God pricks your heart to say something to that person to check out line at Target, do it. You don't know what seeds you're sowing. But here's the point. As a pastor and as someone sitting up here talking to you, I am keenly aware that God doesn't need me. He can use me, but he doesn't need me. My salvation, God didn't have someone come preach the gospel to me. He got his word to me in solitary confinement. His word was enough. Why do I say that to you? Because I know as you leave here and you go back out into this world and you're talking to your son, your daughter, um, you're working through divorce, you're going through all these painful things, you have to plan a funeral, or you're going through a complex situation with someone at your job and you're trying to love on your neighbor, you're going to be in situations where you're like, man, I don't have no clue on how to come alongside of her in that. Like, you, all you said was, how you doing? And then she just dumped. And then you just was like, oh. <laughs> you ever had to have, hey, how you doing? And you're like, oh, good. And you're like, how you doing? And you're like, man, not so great. And you're like, oh, my gosh. We about to have this conversation right now. 
You know, and so, right? And you like service. You ever been there? You know what I'm talking about, right? And if you've been in situations, I will just tell you, people who spend a lot of time talking to unbelievers or people who are in pain feel so inadequate and they're not arrogant because they're like, man, I don't know what to do in this situation. I want you to be encouraged that you serve a God who says, I don't need your strength. I don't need your, I don't need your, your background. I don't need your resume. I don't need how eloquent you are. You don't have to try to be cool. You don't need to be hip to connect with the younger generation. And now you got to get an Instagram and a TikTok account and do all this stuff. My word is enough. And my spirit is enough. And somebody needs to hear that because you feel so powerless right now trying to come along the situation that you are in. God sends us into a world of suffering, pain, and sorrow. And he says, I'm going to use your pain and I will bring good out of this because I never waste the pain of my people. I didn't waste the pain of my son, and I won't waste your pain either. So as we close and our worship team comes back up, I just want to humbly ask you to consider, just consider, my brother and sister, how God might want to use the challenges, the pains, and the traumas that you experience to bless and heal others. And maybe when you leave here today, you just say, God, you know what? I never really talked about that. God, would you heal me in that area? And would you use me now to be able to relate to people who are in pain that way? We are sent into a world of pain and sorrow. We are sent by the God who comforts. We are sent to comfort others. And we are sent by the God who is self-sufficient. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for uh, my siblings here. And um, God, I know there's just pain in this room. There's marriages that are struggling. There's people who are so grieved about just where their son or their daughter is, their children are going, where they're headed. There's some people here, God, who their brother, their sister that they grew up in is just in a dark place. And Thanksgiving is never a good time for anybody when he comes around. There's people right now battling addictions, not just pornography, but alcohol, marijuana, overeating, binging. There's people listening right now who have battled thoughts of suicide and attempts of suicide, and they've never talked to anyone about it because they're a small group leader, they're a, they're a deacon, they're, they've been, they're, they're, the, they're the parent in the household who loves Jesus, and they want their kids to come to faith in Christ so badly they don't want to share about some of the things they've been through, but God, would you give them healing and freedom? It just might be that they can say to their kids, I, I understand. I never wanted to share this with you, but here's some of the things I went through when I was your age. I never told you that I used to cut my wrist. I never told you that I battled depression in high school. I never told you that I was bullied and what that did to me. God, would you give us healing? and Would you help us to see this world with your eyes? God, forgive us. We are so critical of the people you sent us to witness to. So self-righteous. And we wonder why they don't want to come to church. I pray that Radiant will be an authentic place. A safe place where people can walk in with their pain and their problems. Receive a hug. Have their burdens bared. Held accountable, yes. But pointed to Christ and feeling true freedom. God, would you heal in this place? And would this time this morning change a generation? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.